over the last few weeks, we've been talking about deconstructing our faith, disentangling man's opinions from God's truth. And uh, the thing that we keep coming back to is when we fixate on the wrong beliefs, we end up muddying the waters, and we make it harder for people to see Jesus, to find Jesus, to come to Jesus. But when we simplify our beliefs, we clarify what really matters to us and to our community and to our world. Now, Jesus said that you could sum up all of Scripture as love God and love others. He did that in Matthew 22. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, as we're deconstructing our faith, if the summation of all this is love, are my beliefs loving? If Jesus said, you can sum all this up as being about loving God and loving other people, are all my beliefs loving? Many of our beliefs, I believe, are birthed out of fear, not love, and the beliefs we birth in fear must be deconstructed in love. And so today we're going to talk about dismantling our beliefs that aren't loving. Now, this doesn't mean that we just throw out all our beliefs that might be controversial or that people don't like. In many instances, this doesn't mean we need to change our orthodox positions on things at all. But it almost always means that we need to change the tone in which we talk about our orthodox positions on things. For the past 40 years, the church in America has taken a very combative posture with culture. And our tone has been quite literally, I'm right, you're wrong. Na, 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 boo, boo. You know, like, you, you know how kids do that? Yeah. That's pretty much how the church has acted towards culture. That's pretty much how I was taught to act towards culture. We're right, you're wrong, and we're going to kind of mock you about it. We've been tempted to impose our beliefs through laws or through guilt or through authority. We've attempted to use worldly power in our attempts to change the world, and that just doesn't work. God seems to be much more interested in influencing people than he is in controlling people. Um, and yet many times our churches seem to be more about controlling people than influencing people. Jesus seemed to believe that his kingdom grows through sacrifice, not strength, through love, not coercion. Yet when most people in America hear that we have beliefs, they naturally get nervous. They feel a mix of unpleasant emotions. They either think this person's going to make me uncomfortable by talking about things I'd rather not talk about, or this person is going to think they're better than me because they have some beliefs that I don't have, or this person's going to look down on me because of my behavior and make me feel guilty or ashamed. It's really hard to love people who you treat like they are less than you. It's really hard to love people that you despise. And many times we look at our culture or our city or our world and we despise people because of their behaviors or their lifestyles. And you know what? They're just not interested in Jesus that we talk about and say we believe if we lead with this posture of we're right, they're wrong, they need to just get on board with us. It, it gives us a very combative posture. Now, this combative posture uh, that the church has taken with culture my entire life has really led my entire generation to have a very bad view of church. Millennials, my generation from roughly 1980 to 2000, uh, those born in that period there, are some of the least church generation in the history of Christianity. We're the least Christian generation in history. That's crazy to think about. 
And if we're going to reach millennials and Gen Z, which came from 2000 on, with the good news of apprenticing with Jesus, we must deconstruct our beliefs that aren't loving because I think the way we were approaching culture didn't work. It had the opposite effect. It didn't change culture. It made culture reject Christianity. We must deconstruct the way we express our beliefs that are unloving. The younger generations don't just want to know that Christianity is true. They also want to know that it is good. And so the way we talk about it to people, the way we approach people matters. They don't just want to know that the message is good. They want to know that our methods are good too. Now, if you have the right beliefs, but you don't express them in love, they are worthless. And I think sometimes this is where we forget and we're like, I've got the right answer. They need the right answer. I'm going to get it to them. Um, but it can come across as aggressive, scare people away, or make them feel bad about themselves, but not give them a clear path to Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 made it really clear. He said, if I'm the greatest human speaker ever, if I can communicate with angels, if I can predict the future, if I'm the smartest person to ever live, if I do miracles, but I'm not loving in any of those things, then I've wasted my time. I am nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. He's like, if you've got everything right, but you miss love, you've missed the point. Becoming loving like Jesus was loving is the, is the goal. If you have all the right beliefs, but you treat people like garbage, you've missed the point. If you have all the right beliefs, but those beliefs don't make you loving, you're wasting your time. Now, for a long time, the church that I grew up around, the churches I grew up around, kind of took the position that the end justifies the means. That is, if I told somebody about Jesus, it didn't matter about how abusive or aggressive or angry I was as long as they got the message, right? And that's why you'd go down to a uh, sports stadium and there would be someone with a bullhorn shouting at people like, you're going to hell, you need Jesus. Now, was he expressing things that I think are true? People need to hear about Jesus. But he was expressing it in such a way they did not feel loved. They felt attacked. I was a fellow Christian, and I felt attacked just walking by him, you know? He's like shouting with a bullhorn right in my, right in my face. But for a long time, church has kind of taken the position that we're getting the truth out there. It doesn't matter how it's done or who gets hurt along the way. When we take the position of we're right and you're so wrong, you're going to be tortured for it forever, it's not an attractive posture. People aren't like, you're so loving. I want to hear more about that. You know, it doesn't seem to be the posture that had tax collectors and sinners following Jesus, being drawn to Jesus. Jesus himself said we should lead with our love, not lead with our beliefs. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, you are my apprentices, you are the students of the way that I lived, if you love one another. Now, did he say, people will know that you are apprentices of Jesus if you have all the right beliefs? No, I think it's good to have the right beliefs, but he didn't say that would be the key indicator. He didn't say, they will know your beliefs by, or they'll know you're my disciple by your great Sunday services or whatever. He said, They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love. Jesus said his students would be known, recognized by their love. When we're known more for our beliefs than we are our love, we're doing it wrong. When we're known more for our beliefs than our behaviors, we're doing it wrong. When we're known more for what we are against than who we are for, we're doing it wrong. 
we need to deconstruct until our love speaks louder than our beliefs. That doesn't mean we throw our beliefs out. Beliefs are important. Beliefs should empower our love. But many times people can't hear our beliefs because the way we talk about them isn't very sensitive to how people are hearing them. People aren't going to care about what you believe until they know that you care about them. People aren't going to care about what you believe until they see that you love them. When our beliefs are loud, people will be defensive. And you've probably seen this. Like when you go in and you're like, this is Jesus, this is what you need, this is... And people are like, whoa, 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 what are you trying to sell me on, you know? But if you lead with love, what I have found is people get curious about your beliefs. When I first moved up here from Tennessee, I was like so foolish about so many things, so naive at so many things. I'm just like going up to people, like trying to push Jesus on them, you know? It's not effective in Philadelphia. I'm not sure if it's effective anywhere, but it's definitely not effective here. People were like, who, who are you coming at me, like approaching me on the street, trying to talk to me about Jesus, you know? What I found worked a lot better was building friendships, building trust, because the gospel moves at the speed of trust, inviting people into a home, getting to know them, caring about people. And you know what? Pretty soon they're like, what kind of Christian are you? Like this is, I've never seen anyone who actually like, watched out for me, gave me rides, like, helping me out, like, what, why are you doing all this? And I'm like, because I care about you, because I love you. All of a sudden, they're a lot more curious about my faith than if I led with my faith rather than leading with my love. Belief, um, so this is what I've begun to ask myself. Is this belief that I'm holding, is it rooted in love? Now, I'm not asking whether or not the belief is true or not, because there's some beliefs that I have that are true, but I haven't expressed them in love. I haven't rooted them in love. And so I've started to ask myself, okay, I believe this. I believe this because of the Bible. I believe this because of Jesus. I believe this because of my experience. But am I expressing that belief in love? Have I rooted that belief in love? This is a different level of deconstruction here. Because this isn't just saying, I'm throwing out something false, I believe. This is saying, I believe something, but maybe the framework I've built around that belief isn't a loving expression of how Jesus would express this belief. First John tells us that God is love, and if I fail to love people, I haven't really seen God. How can I have a belief that doesn't start from love? Shouldn't every belief start from God, who first John says is love? When our beliefs about God aren't loving, it reveals we know about God, but we don't know God. Belief without love is legalism, Legalism is doing things to avoid punishment or to receive reward. It's the opposite of doing things because you want to, because you love the person. Darby has this thing where she hates when I leave water droplets next to the coffee pot. I leave water droplets in lots of places, like the, the kitchen sink and the bathroom sink. She hates that too. And um, so I am married to Darby, which means I have some legal obligations to Darby. But if I said, I'm going to wipe up these water droplets because we have a marriage contract that, that you know, is in some courthouse, uh, we have a marriage certificate, and I have legal obligations to try to be a husband, and, you know, this is a partnership, that's not why she wants me to do things, right? She wants me to do things out of love, and God wants us to do the same. Like, so many times we believe the right thing for the wrong reason. We think it's to avoid punishment or to receive reward. We don't do it because we love him, and we don't express it to others because we love them. Growing up in church, I often heard this statement, love the sinner but hate the sin. Anyone ever hear that? Yep. Yeah. It was all over churches when I was growing up. There's a problem with that statement, though. When you steal, what do you become? 
What, do you, what are you called when you steal something? A thief. When you lie, what are you called? A liar. So when you sin, some part, some part of that sin becomes part of your identity. It changes how you're identified. So when you hate the sin, you're hating part of that person because they have, that has become part of their identity. An older pastor changed the statement in a way that I found really helpful. He said, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And I think about that a lot because sometimes I'll see other people and I'm like, look at them. Look at what they just posted. Look at what they just did. Look at how they came at me or how they came at this person. Look at them. And then I remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be looking at myself, right? That was Jesus' whole example. He's like, you're always looking at the speck in someone else's eye when you have a giant log in your own eye. He's like, if you really want to help others, take out the log in your own eye. It's always easier to spot what's wrong in somebody else than to spot what's wrong in us. It's always easy to have strong beliefs about things that don't tempt you and hold looser beliefs on the things you struggle with. Show other people the same grace you tend to show yourself. Even better, show other people the same grace that Jesus showed you. Russell Moore is a theologian at Christianity Today, and he had this great statement in this article he did. He said that the biggest issue in the American church today, and whenever anybody says that, I'm like, yeah, what is it? I want to know. Like, how can I work on it? How can I get better? He says, it's this. We are loud about the sins that we aren't tempted by and quiet about the sins that we have been tempted by. Like we shout from stages about everything culture does that doesn't really uh, bother us, that doesn't really uh, tempt us much. And we're quiet about the areas where we keep messing up. Perhaps culture would take us more seriously if we were loud about focusing on and correcting the places we keep failing instead of constantly saying, we've got it all together and then having these dramatic front page headline failures. Love forces us to look at ourselves first before assuming that we're in a position to critique the lifestyles and behaviors of others. So we can't just talk about deconstructing our beliefs that aren't loving though without taking a moment to define love. What do I mean when I say love? What does the Bible, I think, mean when it says love? The word has been so hijacked in our world today. It's in every movie. It's in every song. It's in every book. It's everywhere. It's used in so many different ways. Many times love in our culture is often associated with tolerance. And tolerance on the surface sounds really great because it says, let's just all tolerate each other. Like, let's not invade each other. Let's not kill each other. Let's not fight. Let's be tolerant. Um, but I want more than that. See, I don't want Darby to just tolerate me. I would like her to love me, right? Like, we want more than just tolerance. We want people to experience love. Tolerance says, as long as you're not hurting me or someone else, I don't care what you do. But love demands more. It demands caring about someone else. The goal isn't tolerance, where you don't care what someone does. The goal is love, where you want the best for someone else. But no matter how much you want the best for someone else, you have to wait until they want it to. Maybe you've seen this with a family member or a friend. And you're like, I want you to know Jesus so much. I want you to know how good it is to follow him and uh, to realize how good the presence of God is. But you know what? You can't, you can't take their head and like force them to do it. You know, Like when uh, the Europeans showed up on North American shores and we were trying to force 
Native Americans and indigenous people to become Christian and we're like, become a Christian because it's great or we'll kill you. And they were like, okay, that's a choice, you know? That's sometimes how we approach our friends and our family. We're like, you gotta do it, do it now. And it just comes across as us trying to manipulate them. Even though we know it's good, even though we know it'll be good for them, we can't make them want it. We have to wait until they want it to. So what I find is that many times Christians say their beliefs are the best for someone else, but the way they share them is unloving, is aggressive, is forceful, and actually makes people build up walls to faith. They don't consider the feelings of the person they're approaching with good news at all. Love gently guides people to their greatest good. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love is patient. Patient. And you know what I found most of the time? As I share my faith, as I share my beliefs with other people, I am not patient, which means I am not loving. I want them to get it today. You know, I don't want to pray every day and wait patiently and winsomely guide them. I want them to just do it now so I can move on. Imagine Darby and I, finally, after years and years of trying to have a kid and adopt, imagine our adoption agency finally sends us good news. It, it feels like it would never happen because I swear all that adoption agency does is send bad news. But imagine that they told us in the strangest way. Imagine that they cut out letters from a, new, uh, from a magazine, like a serial killer note, you know, wrapped it around a brick with some string and threw it through our front window. And so I come downstairs, here's smashed glass, and there's a brick on the floor, and I unroll it, and it says, we have a baby for you. I would be so happy with that good news, but I would still be super angry that they broke my window telling me, right? That's a very aggressive way to tell me I've got good news for you. Or imagine that they hired a group of thugs, and while I was leaving work, this group of thugs, you know, came up in the parking lot, and they said, hey, you Alex? I'm like, yeah, and they just beat the crap out of me, and they say, hey, your adoption agency says they got a baby for you. I'd be like, I'm so glad, but I've also got broken bones and I'm bleeding, right? I think sometimes, no matter how much I wanted that news or needed that news, the avenue in which it was given would make me angry and defensive. And as crazy as those examples seem, somehow, sometimes that's how we approach sharing our beliefs and sharing our faith with other people. We come at people in a very aggressive way, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They might actually want to hear what we had to say if we weren't throwing bricks through the glass windows of their heart or, like, uh, verbally beating them into submission. Most of us share our beliefs with our friends and family in a way that to them seems aggressive, that seems like we're right and they're wrong. Many times the good news, our right beliefs, are soured by our bad methods. And so I'm trying to stop and think, okay, we've been deconstructing. Is this a true belief or is this just man's opinion? Now I'm going a step farther and I'm saying, okay, this is a true belief, I think, but am I expressing it in love? We express the truth many times in anger or the truth in hate, the truth in superiority, but often we do not pre present the truth in love. If the gospel is presented through any medium except love, it will be bad news, not good news. It will feel like bad news, not good news. So as Christians in a culture that has long had, long experienced an authoritative church demanding allegiance to their beliefs, how should we proceed? You know, I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's a 
he's a former Catholic, and one of the things he hated, he's like, the church just says, this is how it needs to be, and you need to respect me and do it. We're the church. You need to just do it. And he's like, I didn't like that. I didn't like being forced into something. There was no question. I just had to accept their authority, their word that that's how it was. I think going forward, we need, instead of being closed-handed and heavy-handed and fisted towards uh, culture, we need to be more open-handed. Instead of gripping so tightly, we need to, uh, instead of taking a stand, we need to take a walk with people. We need to walk alongside them. We need to be patient. We need to listen to the beliefs of our neighbors before sharing our own beliefs and opinions. We need to draw softer lines instead of hard lines. And this means that sometimes we're going to be in situations that we might feel uncomfortable with. We might be around people who make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But the best of Christianity is built on love. The worst of Christianity is built on fear. Go back throughout Christian history. Our greatest moments are always moments when we're expressing love like Christ did. Every moment in Christian history where you look back on and you're like, ooh, that is not our proudest moments. Crusades, inquisitions, it's where fear robs the church of its expressions of love. Where we get so afraid of culture, or we get so afraid of bad doctrine, we get so afraid that we begin to act out in ways that aren't loving. And those things end up hurting the reputation and the image of church for hundreds of years. Fear says I have to worry about what someone might say or how it might look. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Now, sinners, like that uh, translation, were like, oh, we're all sinners, you know? In the first century, that word sinners, uh, it's not a bad translation to say sinners, but it was often used for sex workers. And so what it's saying is, and we know this, right? Jesus hung out with some prostitutes, and many of them became his followers. But it's saying he hung out with tax collectors who were traitors to their country and prostitutes. Not exactly the best crowd, right? You know, like, people are going to talk, Jesus. That's what I'd say if I was Peter. It's like, people are going to talk. And he's like, yeah, it's okay. I want people who are far away from God to know that they are loved. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He pardoned prostitutes without fear of what love would look like. His confident beliefs propelled him to de demonstrative love. When I see people acting out of fear, which they claim is a result of their belief, I've come to realize it's not because they have strong beliefs. It's because they're not confident of their beliefs. We double down on fear when we're trying to ignore our own and I found that people who are most aggressive and most fearful in their beliefs are often trying to compensate for the fact that they, they're not sure they really believe this themselves. If I show a little kindness to someone, oftentimes some religious policeman will send me a message or give me a phone call and say, do you approve of everything in their life? I saw that you had lunch with this person. Are you now totally on board with everything they have ever said and done? And I'm like, no, I'm not on board with everything I've ever said and done. I'm not on board with everything my wife's ever said or done, right? The prerequisite to kindness is not affirmation of everything someone says or does. I think so often we're worried that if we love someone, that it's going to affect somehow this Christian image. And what I find is most of the time it only affects your image with other legalistic Christians. Love doesn't have to agree with someone on everything in order to work. Love works even if you don't agree on everything. Believe me, we're married and we don't agree on everything. Sometimes, some days it feels like we don't agree on anything except Jesus. And 
love can still work. Darby's family does this silly, silly thing where they laugh in a funny say, way and say, would you still love me if I laughed like this? So we'll have our nieces and uh, niece and nephews in the car, and we'll be like, hey, would you still love me if I laughed like this? <laughs> and my nephews will go, yes, we'll still love you. And then they're just like rolling laughing, and then they'll say like, would you still laugh, love me if I laughed like this, Alex? <laughs> and I say, yes, I'd still love you, and we go on and on, and we have a good time. And they say, of course we would still love you. Just because you have a weird laugh doesn't mean I would stop loving you. But for years, the church in North America has said, if you have a weird belief that doesn't fit our narrow framework about how things work, you can't be a part of this church. You can't be a part of this network. You can't be a part of this organization. We only love you if we believe all the same things. That's not love. That's control. That's belief born out of fear, not love. Many of us were taught to express our beliefs in fear. Fear that the world would take away our religious freedom. Fear that militant religions would confuse and uh, evangelize our kids. Fear of the ideas of science and philosophy. Perhaps we've been so ineffective as a church in the last 40 years in the West because we've been more afraid of culture than we have loved our culture. Maybe I've not been as effective in my workplace talking to them about Jesus because I've been more afraid of how they might think about some of my beliefs or how they might uh, look at me different because of some of my beliefs because I've been more interested or more obsessed with my fear than I have my love for them. The people in my neighborhood, do I fear them? Do I fear what they would think or do I love them? The people in my family, the people in my city, the people in my world. Our beliefs should not position us to be at war with our culture. Our beliefs should position us for the good of our culture. Instead of thinking, how can I get this person to believe like I do? Ask yourself, how can I do good for this person? How can I love this person? Because I found when we love people, they get curious about what we believe. People are attracted to our love, not our beliefs. But people will come to our beliefs because they were attracted by our love. Horizon exists for the good of Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs. We think this is part of building the kingdom of God. And you exist for the good of your neighbors and your family and your workplaces and your coworkers, your friends. This is part of building the kingdom of God. About 600 years before Jesus, the Israelites uh, were conquered by Babylon and carried off into captivity. Almost no one was left in their homeland. They carried off everyone who had any education or any wealth, so only the extremely uneducated and the extremely poor were left. Everybody else was carried off and forced to assimilate into the culture of the nation that had defeated them. And God had long told them that this would happen. He had warned them over and over again with prophets. Um, but they kept losing their identity and chasing after the gods of the other countries. And he said, if you want the gods of the other countries so badly, I will let those countries conquer you. And they just kept chasing after them, chasing after them, and finally they were conquered. Um, and then he sends a prophet to them named Jeremiah, and he had warned them over and over again, and they said, you're such a traitor to our nation, you should say our nation will never fail, how dare you say we're going to be conquered. And as they were conquered, he wrote this letter to them, and um, as they were taken into exile, most were angry and they hated the nation of Babylon that had conquered them. It would be like right now if Russia came and conquered America and then forced us all to move to Moscow. 
and say, assimilate into Russian culture, learn the Russian language, now you are Russian. Uh, we would be angry, right? There'd be Americans like, like pulling out their guns and being terrorists and bombing stuff. We'd want to fight and resist. But this is what God told Jeremiah to tell the people. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, this is what the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, I want to suggest to us that we live right now in a cultural Babylon. As followers of Jesus, we've been carried into exile. In, we live in a culture that is not Christ-focused or Christ-centered. We live in a world where Jesus does not yet rule as king. We look forward to that day. We live in a cultural Babylon. And what I've been taught in the church growing up was I need to fight and resist culture. I need to fight and resist. But I think God would tell us to do what he told the Israelites to do when they were carried into a literal Babylon, pray and work for other people's good, to be about doing good in our culture because people listen to love. I don't really think the issue that culture has with Christianity is our beliefs. Oftentimes that's what's talked about, like, man, you've got these beliefs and I don't like them. Or, I think many times, despite our beliefs being challenging, the real issue is the way that we express our beliefs. We express them in fear and not in love. We don't have to abandon our orthodox beliefs when we deconstruct, but we must deconstruct our methods that aren't propelled by love. Each week, we've been ending our message with a dangerous prayer. I'm going to read it and just give you a minute to pray it with me. Jesus, some of the true things I have believed, I have not shared in love. I've been angry or forceful. Forgive me. Help me lead with love. Help me listen for questions and not rush to give answers when people aren't ready to hear. You said the Holy Spirit would guide me into all truth. Help me deconstruct the false things I have believed and build my faith on you.